Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Rachel Hollis podcast. I am sitting down with actor and singer-songwriter Alicia Witt. If you're not familiar with her name, I promise you are familiar with her face. You have seen her in every movie you can possibly imagine. And today on the show, we are chatting about her journey and the lifestyle that she has now, which is focused on health, sustainable living, and peace that actually all began in a pretty shocking way. It's an incredible story and one that's inspiring to all of us, especially any of you who are in the midst of changing your lifestyle completely in order to eat more intuitively or to take better care of your body. This is my conversation with Alicia Witt. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis and this is my podcast, I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Will you tell the audience about how you got here to writing a book in the first place? Absolutely. I started noticing about 10 years ago or so that after a lifetime filled with, I, you know, I thought of myself as always being health conscious. And I think I, I was to, ex- to a certain extent, but I didn't have a sense of balance when it came to food or what I was eating. I sometimes ate very differently when I was out in a restaurant than I ate when I was at home, for example. Mm. I I had, and sometimes that was healthier and sometimes it was a lot less healthy. There was this notion of showing off when I was out in public, when I was much younger, um, look how healthy I eat. And then I would go home and eat portions and foods that were decidedly not healthy. And about 10 years ago, when I finally accidentally came to a plant-based diet, along with that, people started coming up to me on a very regular basis and asking me questions about what I was eating, what I was wearing, why I seemed so happy, what I used to make my skin look the way that it looks. And I didn't think anything of it until it had happened for quite a long time. And then I realized that because I don't like to use labels, even a label like vegan, because once in a while, I still like to have salmon. And so by a vegan definition, that means I'm not a vegan, even though most months I don't eat salmon at all. But still... I don't see how the label is helpful. I eat what feels right for me. And it just so happens that almost all of that is plant-based. So when I'm talking to people, I'm not coming at it with this set of rules that I think a lot of very well-meaning dietitians or vegan lifestyle advocates 
tend to have when they're talking to people, which is it's all or nothing. You, you have to eat a diet that excludes all of these things that we now know are not great for you in large quantities. And if you don't, then you're not doing it right. And I just don't believe that at all. I think we need to step away from the rules and regulations and help people to understand that you can cut back on your meat, your dairy consumption, and you don't have to cut them out completely if those are things you truly enjoy. I certainly don't think you do anyway. And how, it sounds like this was a gradual process for you, um, that it wasn't just sort of a snap your fingers and everything changes, which I feel like is so beautiful to hear because oftentimes the stories we're told are, you know, I made a decision and the next day I got up and everything was different. And if you're a person who has struggled nutritionally in the past, or you have triggers around food, feeling like you're doing it wrong can keep you from making choices that actually would be so great for you. So how did you start that transition? What did that process look like? It started for me the, well, I mean, when I was 14, I had an epiphany that I didn't want to have red meat anymore. And that came from an ethical conviction of my own, nothing to do with my family. I grew up eating red meat almost every day. And I just suddenly was cooking it and I saw it. And for me, I knew I never wanted to eat it again. And then when I was 25, I, I stopped liking chicken and turkey. And it wasn't, it wasn't really a health decision at that point. It was just something that didn't seem appealing to me anymore for a number of reasons. And then I was a pescatarian, um, meaning I ate fish and dairy and eggs for about another 10 years after that. And I had filmed a movie in New Orleans. I ate a ton of fried food and dairy and all the things that are technically pescatarian, but still very heavy and very rich and very delicious. <laughs> and, and I'd also just come back from a trip with one of my best friends where we were in Spain and we just ate fish probably three times a day because it was, it's so fresh there. Right. And, and I ended up coming back to my then home in LA and feeling just heavy, not a little bit heavy weight wise, but also just my system felt clogged up mm -hmm. and I felt like I needed to do some sort of a non-extreme cleanse. And I found this plant-based cleanse online, which had lots of herbs and things that were meant to be taken in specific measurements throughout the day. And the only stipulation for the cleanse was that you should stick to a plant-based diet for three weeks. And I thought, well, that won't be so hard. I mean, I love, I, I always ate many plant-based meals, even though I wasn't completely in those rules. And I found myself at the end of that cleanse, just not wanting the things that I thought I would want again. I remember ordering sushi and being so excited about it. And I really didn't want any of the fish. Mm -hmm. I wanted the avocado and the seaweed and the veggie rolls, but the fish just wasn't appealing to me. And I never thought, okay, I'm going to be vegan from this point on, but it ended up gradually happening. I mean, from that point on, I 
that has been 99.5% of my, my food intake. In order to, to make those changes though, it sounds like you're listening to your body. Yes. Which I think is a disconnect, especially with women that we don't listen to the way that the foods we're eating make us feel. Or in the course of a day, make your, your, maybe you're making so many choices and because you're not conscious of it, you couldn't even tell someone which thing gave you the inflammation or which thing upset your stomach. So was that something you always had or did you understand that you needed to develop it in order to develop your health? That's developed much more over the past 10 years. And now I feel like it's at a point for me where I notice if I just think about a certain food or hold it in my hand and consider how it's going to make my system feel if I ingest it, my body will tell me if that's good for me or not good for me. It's similar to muscle testing, which a lot of naturopathic healers and doctors will use to tell a patient what foods they have sensitivities to. And I've I've worked with some of those over the years and it's it's never a surprise. The foods that I'm told of are always the ones that I just sense make my body not feel the best. Yeah. But for example, for me, one of those foods has always been dairy products. And even though I don't eat dairy at all anymore, I I noticed for many years before I stopped eating dairy that when I did, I didn't feel as good. And I would have skin breakouts and not really know what to attribute them to. But when I stopped eating dairy, that was one thing that was a consistent bit of feedback I kept getting from people that I knew that my skin just looked so clear. And it took me a while to realize, oh, my diet has drastically changed in the last month or two at that point. But I can still remember, I mean, if I think about, I think the last time I ate dairy was I was in Italy and I was at the airport and I thought I might as well just have one piece of real Italian pizza because I'm in Italy yeah. And I bought a slice and I thought it was going to be great. And I bit into it and it just genuinely didn't taste like food to me anymore. There was no part of me that thought, oh, this is a treat. And right. I, I just didn't want it. I couldn't eat it. I think that's an example of whatever it is that you might be feeling pain or bloating or gassiness or any of that after you've eaten a meal you can often trace it to one food or maybe two foods that you ate in that meal. And Absolutely. if you try eating it again and cut that food out, you won't experience those symptoms. And that's such, it's like a miracle. Yeah. I mean, you talked about this idea of going on a cleanse and what it makes me think of is like, when you have experienced health where you've feel so good. You have the energy, you're sleeping well, the inflammation is down. You're not having the bloating, all of that. I think it's much easier to make choices for your health. Like I um, had all these, this very long story, but I had brain scans done because I knew something was off and I ended up getting on this regimen because I have blood flow. That's, it's a whole thing. <laughs> but one of the things that I gave up in that process was alcohol. 
which was so sad. I mean, my gosh. <laughs> um, and I'll still have a cocktail, like if it's a celebration or there's some reason, like it's a celebratory thing, but day in, day out, I, I haven't been drinking for a couple of months. And I thought it was going to be way harder than it was. But the second I could tell the difference in my body and everything, like I remember saying to my boyfriend, I'm like, this is crazy. I can't believe that. And he's like, dude, literally everybody knows that if you stop drinking, it would be better for your body. But until I felt it, I, I, I had no frame of reference. And once I felt it now, certainly there are times like in the beginning, I would be like, okay, I'm going to have one cocktail a week, you know, and negotiate with myself. And then the first time I did it, I felt weird the next day because I'm such a lightweight anyway. I felt weird. And I was like, it's not, it's not worth it. Right. It's so easy to say no to because I know how it's going to feel if I do it again. But how do you get to the place? I mean, the cleanse for you was an opportunity to sort of feel a more optimum health. But if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, I want to try something. I want to change something how do you get to a place where you can feel the effects? Like, is it a certain amount of time that you commit to it or a cleanse or what? I, I genuinely believe that if someone is listening and, you know, a lot of people these days have been told by their doctor, you need to cut back on, on your cholesterol intake because your cholesterol is too high and it's dangerous or, you have heart disease or you have blocked arteries or you need to lose some weight. And I think that there's two ways that are, that I think are manageable without feeling like you've drastically overhauled everything that you enjoy eating. I would recommend just committing to two days, two days, perhaps where you don't have red meat, if that's something that you eat a lot of, or try not to have dairy for two days and see if it makes a difference and see if you can find some substitutes that are not only palatable, but delicious to you. And if after two days, you don't, you don't even feel a little bit better, I would be surprised, but Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think you can commit to two days because then, you know, after 48 hours, you can go back to the way you were eating if, right. if you really want to. But I think another thing is a lot of people eat meat more than once a day. And if those people could just cut back and have meat once a day instead and start exploring some meat substitutes or things that aren't going to taste anything like meat, but have protein such as mushrooms or beans or even large enough amounts of spinach have mm-hmm. protein in them. And you can add more of the good fats that I think weirdly we think of as being high in fat. So we don't eat as much like avocado. Mm-hmm. It's a great idea to have one entire avocado every day. Mm-hmm. Very high in fat, but yeah. it's cholesterol free and it's such good fat that you eat it and you find yourself feeling a lot more full. You know, it's interesting too, I think, for people who are listening who have kids, because I, you know, have a lot of kids and cooking dinner and sort of cooking, I never want to make two dinners. It's really important to me that my kids don't see me eating something different from them. 
because I just don't want to sort of create the idea that one of us has the right food and one of us has the wrong food. And so when I started making, uh, I, I still absolutely eat meat, but I am probably at, you know, I eat 30% as much as I used to. I grew up very similarly to you in that if there wasn't meat in the, at least for our family, if there wasn't meat in the meal, then you didn't eat a meal. Like it was so common to, I just, I didn't even, I couldn't even concept a world where you would have things that weren't based that way. So I just started when I would do my meal prep for the week, I started incorporating that into dinners and really consciously saying to the kids, like it's meatless Monday. So today we're doing, you know, this thing. And I want them to be conscious of us making a choice, not just for our bodies, because there is a lightness of spirit. You do feel, you just, I think, feel better. Mm -hmm. And there are also, it's worth saying for me, I feel like there are times where if I have some red meat, I know we differ in this, but I do feel better if I, like, I feel like I, oh man, that just like, I needed a little something, but I want the kids to see me practicing this and to see me making conscious choices for it. Not just having it be a given, but having it be something that I feel like I'm really craving or I really want and what that does for us as humans, but also just what that does for the planet, frankly, because having less meat is the biggest thing that we can do to help the world. And I am not going to get on a soapbox. A hundred percent. I if everybody had your mentality and your awareness of what a gift it is to eat meat and to to appreciate what it can do for your body and, and how good it makes you feel when you eat it on the occasions you do, it, everything about this planet, I feel, would drastically improve. Mm. And, and I mean, top on that list is the quality of the meat that we as people would be consuming yeah. because there'd be less demand for it. So the the cattle that was raised for consumption would have a much better quality of life. And all cattle would presumably be eating organically and that would be better for us. And the fact that the fact that you can enjoy it and also feel the difference in your body is a beautiful contrast between eating it two or three times a day and just overloading your system with the things that meat has to offer to where you not only don't feel those good effects anymore, but your body just can't digest it. Yeah, absolutely. Is the, the, the new book is sort of a collection of obviously this journey that you've taken and this mindfulness practice that you have around how you care for yourself. Does that show up for you in a bunch of different recipes? Are you one of those people who sort of eats the same 10 things over and over? Like how do you approach your nutrition during the week? I tend to make stuff up on a very regular basis. And it was only when I realized that I was going to be making a book that I started actually writing down or practicing making the recipes so that I knew what I was using in them. One thing that I do have probably three times a week is my homemade pesto Mm -hmm. because it just tastes so good. I love garlic. I love that the nuts in the pesto have some protein in them and some good fats. And of course there's extra virgin olive oil and I grow my own basil and 
I try to pick as much of it as I can when it's in season. So as it's starting to go out of season, I've got a copious amount of it stored up in the freezer. And I love pesto because when I don't have much time, I just steam, lightly steam some veggies and put a heaping portion of pesto on those. (laughs) Right. And it is just so delicious and kind of really well balanced too. Mm -hmm. And it stuffs me. (laughs) So that's something I eat very regularly. Well, I was, I was thinking too, as you were talking about this, because I didn't grow up with this understanding that I think if I had heard us have this conversation 10 years ago, I would have rolled my eyes and said, there's no world where I'm ever going to feel full or feel satiated having had vegetables or having plant-based food. And what I understand now that I didn't know then is that the combination of how you put food together can be satiating for you. And it's more about that mouth pleasure and what's lining your stomach. Is it a healthy fat? Is it something else that really makes you feel that fullness and that, you know, I I think so many people can identify with like going on a diet. And if you can't see me, I'm using air quotes, but going (laughs) on a diet and you eat the thing you're supposed to eat and then you're starving because you weren't actually satisfied in any way. And so it's just worth saying, if you feel like you've maybe tried something like this before, and that has been the result, you haven't, you're not approaching it right yet. There is a better way. Um, There's nothing wrong. And I don't say that to like shame anybody, but there actually is a better way to do it so that you feel really cared for in what you're eating and you're eating things that are loving you back. That's right. Oh, you said it so beautifully. Well, that's another thing that whenever I go to work on a movie, for example, people are constantly commenting about how much food I eat. And, you know, I'm, you wouldn't necessarily know that to look at me, but if you are eating the right combinations of plant-based foods, not only are you satiated and really excited about the food you're about to eat, but it also really revs up your metabolism in a way that I, I, I know from experience, I didn't, my metabolism wasn't this healthy before. And I think that when I talk to people who have tried quote unquote going vegan in the past, they, they do talk about exactly what you just described, which is that they had salads and then they were hungry, but then they had potato chips or, then they had, <laughs> you know, they went to the restaurant and there were no vegan options. So they ate a bread basket. Right. And what I'm hoping to help people to learn with my book is in addition to, to knowing how to prepare my own food, I've also learned how to order out in restaurants, what to ask for, what ingredients to look for. And to help people to see that a plant-based diet should not be boring. It shouldn't be bland and it shouldn't be tiny portions either. Yeah. You can eat a lot more than you think you can. (laughs) You're not eating things that are clogging your system up. Tell me how you sort of, I'm saying made the switch, uh, which maybe is, maybe I'm leading the witness a little bit, but 
you have been inside of the industry for so long, right? And you said earlier, like at a time where you were living in LA, I think, and living in LA and sort of what that means and what it is to be in the industry and what it is to be an actress and have your body and your beauty and your face and your hair and all of these things be sort of the definition of your worth. And it feels to me like there's been some, not just a change in terms of your nutrition, but that there's been a change holistically for you in mindfulness and kind of turning the page and living in Nashville versus living in the Hollywood Hills. Like what does that process look like for you and how did it happen? It happened. It's also happened gradually, but I think that once I started spending more time in Nashville for my music, which was around 2012, I found myself just feeling happier in general. But then every time I would return, quote unquote, home to LA with increasing persistence, I kept feeling just kind of bummed to be back home. And finally in 2016, when I was on the ABC show Nashville, that was the longest stretch I had spent living here. And I realized, wait a minute, I can actually do this. You get to a point if you're if you're blessed enough to to get to keep working, where pretty much all the casting directors know who you are, mm-hmm. and you you're making tapes, which the casting directors are then sending on to the producers or directors, or you're getting that there's always going to be some jobs that come along that you don't have to meet on or audition for at a certain point, and. If you're in LA, a lot of the time these days, you're either making tapes at home to send to casting, or you're going into the casting office and they're making the tape to send to the producers and director. So I realized I don't have to live in LA. I I need to live where I belong, where I'm happy. And then everything else will fall into place. I just knew it so I knew it with every fiber of my being. And when I got back to LA after my stint on the show Nashville, I felt a genuine sense of pain and emptiness in my beautiful house in LA and loneliness. And once I put my house on the market and started looking for a house in Nashville, I think that I think that my sense of identity itself shifted. Mm. Whether I'm working in Nashville or working somewhere else where most of my jobs are somewhere else. (laughs) Um, Just answering the question, where do you live? And being able to proudly say, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. That felt authentic. So that authenticity then finds its way into every corner of my life. And I think it makes my work better both as an actor and as a writer and everything else, because I wake up in the morning and I'm in a neighborhood that I feel at home in and I'm surrounded by people who feel like my neighbors and my dearest friends. I think there's, it's similar in a way to the sense of figuring out what foods feel right for you, Mm. but figuring out where you belong and where you feel the most genuine is equally important. And along with that, 
making sure that there's some time for meditation and physical exercise every day. Mm -hmm. Even if I don't have much time, time can always be made for that. Even if you have to wake up 15 minutes early, be a little tired, it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I read when I was reading about the book, I think I read that you have sort of a different approach to exercise in terms of not, tell me if I'm wrong here, but not doing things that are not sort of believing that exercise has to be something that's physically painful for your body and pushing yourself super hard and like going wild with that you can do movements that are really, that feel really blessing and good and right for you, which did I make that up or is that actually part of the book? No, that's, a, that's again, a beautiful way of putting it. You don't have to be a bodybuilder to, right. to see really big results. And you don't have to be lifting weights that are painful to you or that you have to shake and grunt when you're, <laughs> when you're doing right. that. That's, that's what you need to do if you genuinely want to be a bodybuilder. Right. I think for the for the rest of us, we overlook how important just a little bit every day can be in keeping really nice muscle tone. And of course, lean muscle also keeps your metabolism up. Mm-hmm. If you have if you do a little bit of free weights or lunges or squats every day, you just build up that muscle and that muscle uses the food that you eat as fuel. So that boosts your metabolism and, you know, just add to that a a bit of walking and running and whatever else you like to do to get a little cardio in. And I think that's, that's a lot more than many people are doing. Right. Right. Because they think it has to be the all or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I really believe that. It's like the new year's resolutions that people make when they join the gym on January 2nd mm-hmm. and they start going to the gym for an hour every day. And soon enough, they're not going to the gym at all. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, if you went to the gym for an hour every day, you would look incredible, but most of us don't have that kind of time and, mm-hmm. and life happens and it's just great to have some very simple daily workout routines for those days when you're not going to go to the gym. Yeah. Yeah. I love sort of the theme that I'm hearing in this conversation is this idea of listening to your body and what you need and also being really fluid with how that shows up in a given day, which I think is is so important for us as women and sort of what it looks like for us to go through a cycle every single month. And depending on what day of the month it is, you're going to feel different, have more energy, have less than you did last week. So I love the reminder to be present in where we're at right now today. If people are listening, and obviously they are because they're still with us, if people are listening and they're really interested to learn more, to grab the book, can you can you tell us about the book? Can you tell us where we find it? Like give us all the juicy details. <sighs> well, it's called Small Changes and it is out October 5th. It's at Barnes and Noble and Amazon and all kinds of places that sell books. <laughs> it's um it, it's in particular it is at my hometown store in Nashville, Parnassus Books. Oh yeah, and, I love Parnassus. Oh, that's so cool. They have signed copies of my book available. Very cool. So people can pre-order 
or order a signed copy of the book through smallchanges.me. And it's on Audible as well. Oh, did you do the, did you read it? I did. I love that. That was such a surreal, thrilling experience to get to go into a soundstage and record my own words in my own voice. And my amazing dog, Ernest, sat with me the entire time. And he was so quiet that I I was able to keep him in the sound booth with me. Wow. That's wild. (laughs) I, I've recorded many audiobooks and had them be like, oh, your stomach just made a weird noise. Oh, you made a weird throat sound. I love that Ernest was quiet enough to just, you know, be chill with you. That's incredible. Oh, yes. I definitely had some weird stomach sounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Alicia, I'm super grateful that I got to hang out with you today and listen to the journey and get some inspiration for my life. And I know listeners have all sorts of ideas that they're coming away with and maybe more questions. Is there a place on social media that you hang out that they can come hang out with you and learn more? Yes, absolutely. I am most active on Instagram. I'm Alicia Witty there. And I definitely try to answer questions when people post them as comments on, on whatever I put up there. I do pay attention and nothing makes me happier or more honored than when someone asks. So please do, because I, I would love to help you if there's any way that I can. Well, thank you so much for the time. I hope you have a great week. And I hope that someday when we're not in a COVID world, we get to meet and shake hands in real life. I do too. Thank you, Rachel. It's been incredible getting to talk to you today. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Rachel Hollis. The show is produced by Sterling Coates and edited by Andrew Weller. 